Heavenly Father, we just thank you that we can all gather here tonight. I thank you for this atmosphere of praise, and we just declare Jesus' name as authority in this place. Lord, we bind up any spirit of fear even trying to work now. We just cast that out. Lord, I pray that your peace would descend on all of us and we would have open spirits, open hearts, open ears, and that we could hear what you have for each and every one of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. So we're talking about fear tonight. What is fear? Fear is a fear, spiritual force. It's also a feeling, an emotion, a physiological response in our bodies. The world tells us that fear is a universal human experience, that it's a psychologically healthy and normal thing to feel. Academia even tells us that it evolved to help us stay safe from predators, just a chemical in the brain to make our heart go faster, nothing more. And then in the Christian world, a lot of us look around and we see fear exalted, almost kind of honored, disguised as concern or caution or wisdom. But fear is first and foremost a spiritual force. And we know this from scripture. In 2 Timothy 1.7, Paul tells Timothy and encourages his spiritual son, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. Why would Paul phrase it that way, a spirit of fear? We're going to talk about that tonight. And we're going to confront the notion that we're powerless to conquer fear. So why is fear a problem? Because fear, no matter what it is that we're afraid of, prompts us to take control. We take action to protect ourselves, our property, our future, our finances, our position, whatever it might be. When something comes at us that brings fear, we can respond in one of two ways. Christ-like, surrendering my rights, obeying his word, and completely trusting in him, or through a spirit of fear which is becoming self-protective and controlling in your behavior. Do you know what the opposite of fear is? That's right, of course, faith. Fear and faith cannot coexist in the same space. And in the same way that faith is God's tool, fear is Satan's tool. And God showed it to me this way. Faith is the connection, the portal between us and heaven. So if faith is the portal to heaven, where is fear the portal to and from? You see, every time we operate out of fear, we are always in cooperation with Satan and with darkness. But faith is the defeater of fear. Why else is fear a problem? Because it's so prevalent. In our country, 40 million adults have a diagnosed anxiety disorder, according to the Anxiety and Depression Association of America. You've got generalized anxiety disorder, panic disorders, social anxiety disorders, phobias, etc. And then in children, 25% of 13 to 18-year-olds have a diagnosed fear or anxiety disorder. That is not okay. That doesn't make God happy. So what does he say about fear? Firstly, God commands us not to be afraid, not to have fear. In Joshua 1.9, Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid, do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Deuteronomy 31.6, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. So we need to recognize our relationship with fear as a commandment from God. Hundreds of times throughout the Old and New Testament, the command to fear not is given. 
from the angel Gabriel to Mary, from Jesus to his disciples, millions of times to these guys, and from the voice of I am in the burning bush to Moses. How crazy would it be if breaking other commands was as well tolerated as breaking this one? Hey man, nice truck. Is that new? Yeah, thanks. I just stole it from the Dave Smith lot last weekend. Cool, cool. No, it's pretty cut and dry to us. We know it would be a sin against God and man to steal, murder, commit adultery, etc. But do we consider it sinful to be fearful? Hmm. I'm not saying that when we feel afraid we are sinning. But God commands us not to stay under that spirit of fear. If that seems completely out of reach for you, listen to this. God never gives a command that he doesn't also supply the power to fulfill that command. He will help us in this. He hasn't set us up for failure. And although he gives plenty of impossible commands, he always supplies the power to do the seemingly impossible. Always. The second way God addresses fear is by comforting us. 23rd Psalm, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And Jesus' words in John 14, 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. How good does that feel to hear? Can you feel yourself relaxed just hearing his words? The closeness of our intimacy with him determines the depth that these words can sink into you. I think in some of us, we do acknowledge God's awesome nature and his love and his word, but the problem is on the other side of the relationship, ourselves. Low self-esteem is such an obstacle in not only our relationship with our Heavenly Father and with our Savior, but just in the activities of daily life. We were not made to live that way. And the root of self-esteem Low self-esteem may have come from many ways. Childhood, damaging words, neglect of parents, challenges in school, struggles of poverty, situations that left you feeling hopeless, loneliness, rejection. So many places. Low self-esteem. We were not made to live that way. And we have to address that first if we're going to talk about fear because that is the soil within which fear puts its roots down. I want to read Jesus' words over us all to address that. So after he washes the disciples' feet and he predicts his betrayal and crucifixion, he comforts them. For three whole chapters, he's encouraging them. And he starts out with what I want to speak over us tonight. For those of you who struggle with low self-esteem, hear this not only with your ears but with your spirits. Let his words sink into your identity. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you, so that you will always be with me where I am, and you know the way to where I am going. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Yes, amen. You see, because of what Jesus accomplished through the cross and resurrection, we inherit everything that is his. How many of you are familiar with Deuteronomy 28? Probably a lot of us. In that chapter, God speaks through Moses to the Israelites right before they cross the Jordan River into the Promised Land. And in the the previous chapters, right before, he's given them all of these commands and these decrees 
that they need to keep. And he describes the multitude of blessings that they'll inherit for obedience to those. Blessings like you will be a lender, not a borrower. Your children and your crops will be blessed. You will be the head and not the tail. Wherever you go and whatever you do will be blessed. That's awesome. Or, yeah, that's for us. But listen to how Deuteronomy 28 begins. If you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully keep all his commands that I'm giving you today, you will experience these blessings. How many of us know that the Israelites did not stay faithful to God? Not even close. And they certainly didn't keep the letter of the law that Moses gave them, and neither have we. So how can we get those blessings? Are these out of reach or are those for us? Are they kind of niceties that we can say and hope for or maybe beg God for? No, because who is the only person who ever walked the face of this earth who did fulfill God's law? Jesus. So who is the only person that has ever fully inherited those blessings? Jesus, our Messiah, Yeshua HaMashiach. And because of him, if you've accepted, accepted him as your savior and your king, then you also have the inheritance of that new blessed identity. All of those blessings you have inherited through him. You are the head and not the tail. That translates to you're a winner, not a loser. In the battle of self-esteem, you can choose as an act of your will to exchange the sum of all of your experiences for this new blessed identity. And then daily walk it out and stay in agreement with that truth. So what else does God have to say about fear? That he's conquered it. Psalm 34, 4. I prayed to the Lord and he answered me. He freed me from all my fears. Psalm 27, 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? And Psalm 118, 6. The Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? And Romans 8.15, the spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. How awesome is that? How much strength is there in those words? A brother in this church family recently shared with me something that God told him years ago. The only limits that exist are the ones in our minds. I think the full truth of that is beyond anything that anyone has come to fully understand. But who is someone that embodied a fearless mindset? The same person that wrote three of those last four scriptures, King David. Before he's even full grown, David has already defeated lions, bears, a giant. That's a pretty good resume. See, in his time, David was a weirdo. He was so different. When the entire army of Israel ran and fled from just the sight of Goliath, just seeing him. And can you imagine just what it sounded like of all of them just running away? At that time, he was so different. He tells the king of his nation, Saul, he says, don't worry about this Philistine. I'll go fight him. Saul says, don't be ridiculous. There's no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You were only a boy, and he's been a man of war since his youth. Saul's mind was rooted in the natural world. David's was rooted in the kingdom, in the power of his God, the God of Israel, our God. The loss of fear in your life, like David, is a natural byproduct of receiving a kingdom mindset. 
Without even focusing on getting rid of fear, fear will be displaced. There's no room for it, right? Because fear and faith, they cannot exist in the same place. It's like a substance. You can't have two liquids in the same. You can't have two solids in the same space. In the same way we think about the spiritual realm, we have to think about it in those ways. They're not just magic or ideas. They're actual substance. If you are surrounded by fear, faith cannot exist in that space. If you are surrounded by faith, you're like a watertight boat and it can't get in. So I'm going to share a very personal testimony with you guys. It's about the real, tangible power of God's word. It's simply an example of how I personally learned how to exercise my legal right to claim God's blessings by standing on his promises. This testimony is about my two childbirths, with my daughter Mariah in 2018 and with my son Elijah last month. The story starts with my mom giving me a book, as moms often do, or at least my mom does. When I was first pregnant with Mariah, she gave me this book, and it had a really catchy title, Supernatural Childbirth. So I was very interested. Also, it really helped that it was a short book. If it had been like this, there might be no testimony here, but it was an easy read, so in the first day or two that I had it, I finished it, and I was hit with profound revelation. The author's name is Jackie Mize, and she was told at a preteen age that she was unable to have children, but tragically, that was her heart's biggest desire. But after she and her husband, Terry, found promises in the Bible about script, a scripture about children, they experienced revelation, and they claimed these promises for their situation. She's now a mother of four, with three of those births being painless. She and Terry were lifelong missionaries, and they wrote this book in the early 90s, which has changed thousands of lives, mine included. Fear is a spiritual force. It is the opposite of faith. Does that sound familiar? This is that book. So I get this book. I read it. I'm hit with this profound revelation. My spirit is jumping up and down, testifying to me that not only is this completely true, but this is for me. I am destined to experience this, a supernatural childbirth. And a note here, the word supernatural doesn't mean paranormal or spookerific or anything. It means super, which is above, and natural, which is this natural realm. So something above or better than the normal natural way. So in this book, there are confessions and prayers according to scripture, testimonies of Hannah, Sarah, Rebecca, Samson's mother, Manoah, Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist. And then there are modern testimonies of real women who have had their barren wombs opened, miscarriages no more, but most of all, fear vanquished. Because when we watch movies with childbirth, we as the viewers already know, all right, this woman's about to either die or her agonized screams are about to go ricocheting off the trees, sending birds flying into the air. We're just inundated with the idea that childbirth is not only miserable agony, but fear and terror. This book presented the idea that fear and pain were connected. And the secular world has connected these two. There's a multitude of books that discuss this. But could it be done? A painless childbirth, one totally controlled by God. I meditated on these scriptures with promises like, he will bless the fruit of thy womb, thy wife shall be as a fruitful vine, and thy children like olive plants around thy table, he will make the barren woman to keep house, I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes, your vine shall not cast her fruit before her time. Lots of thys and thous in this book. 
Knowing that Jesus made it possible for me to inherit these promises, I claimed them. I told God, myself, and all of hell that I believed this and I would accept nothing less. My revelation from this book is this, that in the same way that sin and sickness are defeated by Jesus' work on the cross, that so could the curse of sorrow in childbirth from Genesis chapter 2. I believe in salvation from sin, and I even believe in healing from sickness, so why not this? But every birth I'd ever seen or heard, every woman I'd ever heard their testimony, well, not testimony, but their horror story of birth, um, was normal, was a painful, regular childbirth, some better or worse than others. So I felt like a fish swimming upstream, but I was supplied with a faith and an enthusiasm from the Holy Spirit. I chose to believe this, and Ryan, my husband, was 100% on board. He and I spoke out an atmosphere of faith in our home. Usually Ryan, he was the one diving in, we need to address this. When different fears would present themselves, we would always try to recognize it and come against it. Ryan's partnership with me in this was huge. So nine months go by, and I go into labor. No pain. Okay, here we go. This is exciting. You know, maybe this is real. This thing we've been, you know, diving into. Still, you don't know what's going to happen until you get to the test. So we show up at our birth center, and we tell our midwife, Sarah, we say, hi, I'm ready to have my baby. Now, God had been working things together for his glory already, and one of the biggest ways he did this was by connecting us with our midwife, who is now one of our closest friends, and she's here tonight. <laughs> At this point, we needed her to trust us and to cooperate with the type of birth that we were believing for without her express knowledge of any of it. It takes a very special person to do that. So she looks at me and evaluates the fact that I'm walking around and talking and laughing, she gently tells us, look, there's no way you're at the point in your labor where you're ready to have this baby. But she graciously agreed to check me instead of sending me home. After checking me, she surprised and enthusiastically tells us, you are 100% of face. You are having this baby today. So down to the birthing suite I go. And as I transition into more active labor, my focus went toward claiming this painless God-controlled childbirth. Every contraction would start in a normal way intense and painful, but as soon as I spoke out the four words that God had given me to claim this, as soon as these words would leave my lips, the pain would be gone. The remainder of the contraction, a minute or so, would continue like the flexing of a muscle, but with no pain. I was amazed every time. Each time I thought, this is real. I can't believe this is real. This is happening. Like I should be surprised that God shows up, but every time it was this amazing experience. So even though a miracle was manifesting, I had to contend for each and every one. It continued this way up until the birth of my baby girl. And it was such a joyful experience. Without having any anxiety or stress during this sacred time, we all just experienced a fullness of joy. It was so amazing. So at our follow-up appointment, Sarah, our midwife, said, all right, you guys, spill. What's the deal? People do not have babies like this. Um... <laughs> so we told her everything. <laughs> um, but earlier during the birth, she'd even taken Ryan aside and said, this is not normal. I've been doing this for 12 years. Either she has a really, really high pain tolerance or some different kind of thing is going on here. Even uh, after Mariah was born, Sarah had her hanging in her little thing they weigh them in, and she and Ryan could see what she weighed. And Sarah asked me, what do you think she weighs? And I said, seven pounds, five ounces. 
And both their jaws dropped. They said, how'd you know that? I said, because I asked God for a seven pound, five ounce baby. So we were able to share with her everything, something that God has been using in her life for amazing things then and still even now. So what does this have to do with fear? By rejecting fear, God supplied faith. And by exercising that faith, a way was made for God's higher way to unfold. With Elijah's birth last month, I claimed these promises again. And by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, I even made petitions to God. So not only was I believing for the promises in his word and freedom from the curse of Genesis 2, but now I was adding petitions according to the level of my faith. I wrote them down. And each unique aspect of pregnancy and birth, he fulfilled to the T, every single one. In one of these petitions, I asked for labor and delivery to be quick. So just to show off, God started my labor at 2 a.m. on the dot, and we were holding him in our arms at 6.12 a.m. It's four hours, start to finish. We were still on the freeway 25 minutes before he was born. But we had no stress, no anxiety, either because we're dumb or it was a God thing, we don't know. I don't think we realized how incredibly fast it was until afterwards we start adding everything up. Where were you then? You were still asleep? Oh, okay. So it was awesome. God elevated this second supernatural childbirth so that I did not have to contend for victory during it. It was completely painless from start to finish, saturated with the faithful presence of the Holy Spirit. See, he had trained us through the first birth to reject fear, receive faith, act on that faith, and experience God's higher kingdom way. Since learning this, it wasn't for us just about childbirth anymore. Over those past two years, we had been walking this out with revelation after revelation popping up in every area of our lives. So when it came to Elijah's labor and delivery, we had done our work ahead of time so that when the test came, we were fully trained and we walked straight through it. There's so much more to these two stories, more miracles, more trials, more answered prayers that I don't have time to share and don't want to get off point. But Ryan and I are happy to talk about any of it and share it with you if you ever want um, to hear more. And Elijah was born just four weeks ago, so we're still unpacking it all and realizing different answered prayers and ways that God is using his life. And when we give permission to God to use our lives and the lives of our children, you just never know where that's going to take you. My daughter was born on May 1st, and her name is Mariah Joy, which means Yahweh is my teacher and, of course, joy. Through her birth, he was our teacher and taught us that the joy of the Lord is our strength. My son was born on February 1st. And his name is Elijah Enoch, which means Yahweh is my God and dedicated, trained. Through his birth, he was faithful to us as our personal God, and he had trained us to be dedicated to this kingdom way of thinking and living. So there are three camps we can be in when it comes to fear. We can be walking in victory over fear, tolerating fear, or in bondage to fear. Camp number one, walking in victory over fear. We know this is where God wants us, where he commands us to live, refusing to cooperate with hell, refusing to operate in fear. This is the working out of our faith with a kingdom mindset and walking as citizens of heaven. Camp number two, tolerating fear. This is probably best described as a normal person of planet Earth. Either Christian or non-believer, it doesn't matter. We all start here with an earthly inheritance. Either a good one, healthy body, functional family, secure, happy, 
or a not-so-good inheritance, broken family, broken bodies, crappy circumstances. Fear is a universal experience that we all encounter. In fact, some of our earliest memories likely have to do with fear because it is such a forceful, powerful emotion and experience that stays with us. Like grabbing your dad's hand in the store, looking up and seeing a stranger instead. Panic. Creepy cartoon or movie scenes, like the pink elephants from Dumbo, or the Willy Wonka's boat ride through the tunnel, or if you guys heard Ryan's word, you know Winnie the Pooh is our, in our house, so it's the heffalumps and woozles. We fast forward that part. It's so creepy, even to grown-ups. <laughs> but the seeds of fear are always planted early, and in the soil of your soul, can grow into a monster. Camp number three, bondage to fear. In 1 John 4, 18, it says that God does not want us living under a spirit of fear because fear has torment. Being in bondage to fear means you are tormented. Those of you who have fear probably know it. It's not as covert as other issues like pride or greed that hide from us. Fear strikes, you feel it, you know it, you react to it. Maybe you're fearful of new situations, irrational fears like driving over bridges, bad weather, bear attacks. You're afraid of lizards or other harmless creatures, of being misunderstood. If you know you're in bondage to fear, hold on to your seat because as we near the end of this message, we're going to respond. I'm going to lead us through repentance, to renounce it, and to break off fear in our lives. For others who might not recognize a bondage to fear, keep your ears open. We're going to look again at 2 Timothy 1.7. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of sound mind, but of power of love and of a sound mind. So let's dissect each of these things that God says he's given us. Power, love, and a sound mind. The first thing God gives us is power. So if you feel powerless, there might be a spirit of fear in the driver's seat of your life. Feeling powerless, what does it look like? You feel weak? Weak in your resolve to accomplish the things you want to? You feel like you don't have authority to impact the direction of your life? Your reactions also reveal this powerlessness. You get a call from the doctor's office. They found something in the last exam and you need to meet soon. Your blood runs cold. Or someone you love is pulling away from you. You wilt and feel numb powerlessness. The next thing God gives us, according to 2 Timothy 1.7, is love. If you lack love, the spirit of fear might be the cause. You might find it hard to give affection. You're harsh, jealous, bitter. You can't give love. You have a hard time accepting love from God or from others. And thirdly, a sound mind. If you have irrational thinking or indecisiveness, is the spirit of fear operating in your mind. Maybe a colleague or an employer begins to offer critique of your work. Do you freak out and get defensive? If you feel slighted by a friend or an acquaintance, does your imagination start running wild? Next thing you know, you hate this person, you never want to see them again, rejecting them before they reject you. Do you lack self-control? Your car loses traction and begins to slide. Do you panic, close your eyes, let go of the wheel? Back in the day, were you one to physically fight? Your mind snaps and you go into a rage, start swinging fists. That is not a sound mind. That's bondage. That's something else calling the shots in your life. 
Whichever of these three camps you find yourself in, we all need more of God's control in our lives, in our minds, in our hearts. So I'm going to lead us in a response now. Are you guys ready? All right. So like I said earlier, we're going to repent, renounce, and break the spirit of fierce influence in our lives. I'll invite you guys to stand and declare with me. That's my baby. <laughs> Whose baby is that? Lord God, I repent of every area that my last generations, my past generations, gave place to fear. Father, I repent for not trusting you. I repent for believing that I had to take matters into my own hands. Forgive me for how I have treated people around me because of fear. Forgive me for not letting go, for hanging on to people or a position I wanted instead of trusting you completely with my life. Lord, I surrender my rights to you. I thank you, Jesus, for your great power where nothing is impossible, for your great love that will never let me go, and for the mind of Christ that enables me to make right choices. I renounce every vow, every curse, and every contract that I have made with fear. I break every influence, every connection, every agreement with fear. Spirit of fear, in Jesus' name, I break your power and control in my life. The yoke you've had over me, I break in Jesus' name. The sword you've drawn against me shall pierce your own heart. In Jesus' name, I reaffirm my trust in God. I thank you, Father, for being my protector and my provider in all circumstances. In Jesus' name, amen. Yes, So right now, take this moment to assess how you're feeling, what you're experiencing. I want to take some time for ministry, where you guys are the ministers. I want us to bless this new walk. If you feel that you were in bondage to fear, and you're choosing to come out of that, raise your hand up high. That's awesome. Brothers and sisters around them, Find somebody whose hand is raised and minister to them. We need to bless this freedom and celebrate with one another. Find someone with their hand raised, lay hands on them and begin to pray. Celebrate with them, 
bear your brothers and sisters yoke and pray protection over them yes God as we close out this night I want to tell you what comes next expect miracles by rejecting fear receiving faith and acting on that faith you are making a path for God's kingdom way to unfold in your life expect miracles I want to tell you real quickly what happened to the widow at Zarephath this happens during the days of Elijah back in Israel when the corrupt King Ahab was in power and no rain had fallen for years first Kings 17 sometime later the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land then the word of the, la the Lord came to him Go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, Would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? As she was going to get it, he called, And bring me, please, a piece of bread. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread. Only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I am gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said, but first make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me. And then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, the jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. She went away and did as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up and the jug of oil did not run dry, in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. Imagine what this woman is going through. All over Israel, it was a holocaust of starvation. No rain, no crops for years. She's collecting sticks for a fire to cook her last meal for her and her son before they lay down to die. At her moment of despair, God brings a word to her. And she has a choice to believe him or not. Do you think she was full of faith at this point in her life? Or was she at the lowest point possible? But when she receives a word of hope, it comes with two conditions. Do not be afraid and the requirement of a sacrifice. We know that she responds in obedience. She prepares the bread and gives it to Elijah, suggesting that she did have faith at least to some degree. Or maybe she thought to herself, I have literally nothing to lose. I might as well. Either way, she obeyed. And you know what? Both count with God. She gets full credit because she chose as an act of her will to reject fear, receive faith, and act on that faith. And then a miracle manifested. God's way had a path to unfold. If you've received a word in your life, or there's something you're praying for, or there's an unfulfilled promise, or you're just on your last piece of bread, then call upon God to release a miracle. We have giants of the faith in this church, and faithful workers sometimes have a common fear that God won't show up. When you lay on hands, will the healing happen? When a new ministry starts up, will anything come of it? When you need God in your family, will he bring your prodigal home? 
Lord, right now we rebuke that fear. We break the ceiling and we trust in you to show up every time on time. We humble ourselves and we won't hold back any longer in Jesus' name. To sum it all up, if something isn't from God, do we want any part of it? No, it's as simple as that. So let's get rid of all fear and stay rid of it. And by the power of the Holy Spirit in us, through the blood of Jesus, live a fearless life, life abundant and free.